Thank you, Ryan. Welcome home. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, children may be dismissed from Children's Church. For those of you I have not met, my name is Tom. You're at Bethany. We're so glad you're here. Um, uh, the weight of, of, of what we're uh, going to do this morning has been on me uh, this week, uh, chipping away at my heart, and, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of an exquisite, joyful pain and brokenness, uh, and, and I want to share that with you uh, this morning. Uh, I, I, I just want to get something really straight in case um, anybody has a different uh, opinion or impression about it. Uh, I am um, entirely dependent on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross uh, for me uh, to make uh, his righteousness uh, my righteousness, um, to be my hope. I am utterly hopeless without that. Uh, and the more that I grow um, and, and walk with him, uh, I don't become more um, confident in my own righteousness, but more he shows us himself and he shows us ourself. And, and I find that I am um, worse than I ever thought. And he is greater than I ever imagined. And in that, I am more loved than I ever dreamed. Okay? So that kind of, that kind of uh, thing is, is what we're going for uh, this morning. Uh, so glad that we're back in our Acts series. We're preaching verse by verse through the book of Acts. Uh, we had our Imagine series for a while. Uh, we were very grateful. We had uh, seven or eight people uh, make... Uh, first-time commitments to Jesus Christ. Uh, and that we're just so grateful because it's all him, you know, and in the last five weeks and, um, and, and all the baptisms and things like that, the fact that uh, as many weeks as not somebody is here uh, committing to Christ, recommitting their life, he's working. That is, that is all him. Uh, and, and so we give him the praise and the glory. Uh, um, so glad, as I said, to be back in Acts, joining our friends in the early church. Acts 4 is where you want to turn. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, look under the seat in front of you. We've gotten some great gifts to buy more Bibles, because uh, as I mentioned, we gave about 800 away. So we're going to continue that. So we'll have new ESVs soon, uh, and uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, I had titled this uh, Jesus Hit List, um, uh, a little... Uh, a little refining. Uh, we're going to call it keeping it real. Keeping it real. Uh, I know a lot of you are committed to authenticity in your life. Uh, you, would, you would be in concert with Jesus in that. Uh, in that he gives us a desire to be real, to be authentic. And, and that's what we want to really uh, look at. Lots to do. Uh, we're going to get right to work. Um, but uh, before we do... I kind of want to get our, our minds in the, in the sense of, uh, of what God is going to speak to us through his word in Acts 4, uh, and we're going to go into 5 as well, just the last couple of verses of 4. Um, I, we like going to different cities when we travel and, and, and different restaurants, and one of the things that we find, uh, no matter where you are in the country, uh, is that a lot of good places have like these dessert trays, 
to show you what dessert is going to look like. So they have all, you've seen this, right? They have all of their desserts on a tray, and, and it's a little picture of heaven there, maybe. Um, and I remember, I think it was New York, I'm not sure, uh, but you don't know if they're real or not. And this, this unsettling question was not only in my heart, but my daughter's, and uh, there were cannolis on this particular tray, and, and that just quickens the beat of my heart, uh, and those who are related to me uh, for different reasons, and Quincy just couldn't enjoy her meal without knowing if that cannoli was real. So she picked it up and took a bite. There is now somewhere in New York a dessert tray with a wax cannoli on it with my daughter's teeth marks. Uh, but we have a lot of things that look real but are not. I know, you like the flooring is amazing. If Paul was here, we have a lot of people traveling for some reason. Um, but if Paul was here, he could tell you they have laminate now that really is so hard to tell uh, whether it's real wood or not. You know, we have that, we have... Yeah, we have toupees, gosh, and other body parts, and they're trying to look real, and, and I won't go into that, but they don't, and, and, and we have that. And, and as I was looking at that this week, there's this product out there. I was just flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. It's called spray-on mud. Have you seen this? Because they sell it in urban areas. They don't sell it here because we don't need it. We got plenty of mud. But here's what it's designed to do. If you have an SUV and you're like a soccer mom, or you live in the city, you can buy $15 a can to spray mud onto your SUV to park it on a city street to look like you're not just running your kids to school. Mud in a can, 15 bucks. Who wishes they thought of this? It's selling like hotcakes. <coughs> so that you can look like you're something you're not. And as humorous as some of that is, um, the, the real tragedy and, and the real fear that I have for my life and for the life of, of people I love, and that, that would be you, um, is that we do the same thing. Uh, uh, try to appear to be what we're not. And, and Jesus is all about, is all about keeping it real is all about being our real Lord, our real Savior, for real people who want to get real with who they are and who he is so that he can touch those places and forgive them and, and bring us new life. But we've got to be brutally honest, brutally authentic about who we are. And uh, there is, it sounds like a small thing. We're going to see in God's word, it is a huge thing. It is literally uh, a matter of life and death. So uh, here's the plan. We're going to pray. We're going to read this passage because it's a story. And I want you to be able to grasp it as a whole. Then we'll go, for, then we'll go forward and, and we'll unpack it piece by piece. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what the takeaways are for you and for me. Okay? We'll ask a few questions. Sound like a plan? Okay, let's ask for God's help. Lord, uh, thank you for this morning uh, being in your presence in your love with, with people that we love is, is such a great blessing. Lord, uh, I look forward to this time uh, all week. 
when you are with us and, and you bring us your word and you change us with it. And Lord, uh, help us to be brave and courageous enough to be real with each other and with you because you are so real. Lord, pretension and, and appearances and trying to get people to, to have an impression of us that is not real is deadening, is deadening. So, Lord, I, I pray against uh, Satan and his servants and their works and effects who would have us uh, appear to be what we're not. Um, and, Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit that it would be uh, upon us and within us, overwhelming us and transforming us into the image of your Son. Um, Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins, and they are many. And uh, Lord, we ask that you be glorified and that we would see Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, okay. Um, uh, we're going to start in Acts 4. We're going to pick it up in 36. Uh, we straddle the chapters because this is kind of a contrast. The part in 4 is a contrast to what we're going to see uh, in chapter 5. And it is one of the most shocking stories in the entire New Testament. And you're here for it. It's going to be great. Your guys, guys, stay with us. You're going to like this. Uh, somewhat violent, high body count. Um, let's read it, 436. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, he was called that, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him. He brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, uh, chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have co contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard of it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about <clears throat> three hours, his wife came in, Sapphira, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And, and Peter said to her, how is it that you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out. And they buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. <clears throat> now, um, in as Matt and I study the passages um, uh, and, and pray about what God would have us bring, I will tell you, we, we look at commentaries. Um, not very often does this passage get preached. 
Um, and I think you can see why. It's, it's a, you know, if you're really into church growth, I, th- I think this is one of the examples why we can be so confident in Scripture being authentic, right? Because if the early church fathers did, as the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and National Geographic would say, and they tinkered with the Scriptures, don't you think they would have ripped this out? You know, if you're trying to start a movement, if you're, wouldn't you, instead of Jesus snuffing people out, wouldn't you have them just buy them ice cream or something loving like that, right? They would have torn it out. Torn it out, right? I mean, after all, can you imagine? It's like later that week and somebody who missed church, you run into them at the city market and they say, how was church on Sunday? And you say, yeah. It was a killer service. It's just a killer service, man. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Up until now, if you remember back uh, when we left the early church in our study of Acts, the church is growing. It is, people are coming to Christ, people being confronted with the risen Savior, not trusting in the religious acts to make them right with God, right with each other. And, and, and the church is being attacked from the outside, right? We have the religious leaders. They're beating, they're imprisoning Paul and, and John. And, 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 and what is it doing? The church is just exploding in growth. People are getting real with Jesus Christ. So what does Satan do now? Instead of, or in addition to, attacking the church from the outside, he decides this is the first time that he's going to attack the church from the inside. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that anymore? Are you picking up the sarcasm? Because I'm laying it on pretty thick. You see that the early church was not the perfect church. He's attacking from the inside. So we're going to do, we're going to go back, we're going to take this apart piece by piece. We're going to see what's going on. Here's a slow motion replay so you can see everything that's happening. Okay. 436, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Now, um, what, what they've done, maybe there were a lot of people named Joseph. Maybe it's like Ryan these days. Half our staff is named Ryan. So they, so they give him a nickname, and they give him a nickname of Barnabas. They probably called him Barney for short. But it means it was descriptive of who he was. It, was, it says it was meant son of encouragement. He was one of the most beloved and respected, positive, encouraging, pure elders of the early church. We'll meet him again. Uh, just a model guy. You wanted to have a pure, authentic heart like Barnabas. And people knew that. He was doing what he was doing, not for his glory, not for show, but because his heart was fully surrendered to Jesus. And when Jesus laid something on his heart, when the Holy Spirit was working, he he wrote a blank check with his life. And, And it goes on. Son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, not sure, but this is maybe how it happened. Maybe how it happened. He's at church, right? He picks up a bulletin because on the back, there's a place to take notes and holy people take notes. And there are pens at the back if you need them. So 
Um, he also glances above the notes section, and maybe he sees that the year-to-date giving is about $35,000 below what the budget is. And God lays this on his heart. He says, well, I have more than I need, but the kingdom of God and the work of God does not have as much as it needs. And everything I have comes from the Lord, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to sell my land, and after closing, I'm gonna bring that money, right? I can either bring it in cash and put it in the plate, or we also accept checks, or maybe I'll bring it to the bank and go to the giving kiosk and use it that way. But we don't know how he did it, but we do know that he did it. It's a little plug there for giving, if you didn't catch that. And the verse says, he laid it at the apostles' feet. What does that mean? We see that a lot. What it means is this. He surrendered it to those who are in spiritual authority and trusted that they would use it in the way that God was leading his people, leading his church. His giving was not dependent on his personal preferences. You spend it the way I'll spend it, I'll give. You don't spend it the way I would spend it, I'm not gonna give. That's not Barnabas. Okay, we wanna be like Barnabas, but we're not the only ones who wanna be like Barnabas. Check out chapter five. Here's the real juicy part. But, okay, stop there. Stop there, you're going, there's a lot of words. We do this word by word, we're gonna be in trouble. But this is a big but, this is a big old but. Whenever you look at a passage and it starts with but or it starts with therefore, you want to go back and figure out what this is based on. It's based on Barnabas, right? So this is in contrast. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. So here are two new cast of characters and we know they want to be like Barnabas. And uh, what happens here uh, is that we learned when we went through Ruth during the Imagined series, we know that if you look at the meaning of names of people in the Bible, you can often find out more about their character, more about their character. So Barnabas means son of encouragement. Ananias means this. It means God is gracious. God is gracious. And that is true, is it not? I mean, which, which one of us, grace, undeserved favor, right? It's wonderful. They don't give Ananias a nickname. Why? I don't know. Maybe they knew he wouldn't be around long enough to need it. But Ananias means God is gracious. What I believe that Ananias lost sight of is that God, Jesus, is also holy. That he cannot abide with sin. And sometimes we, we lose sight. We take some of God's attributes, like God's love and God's grace, and we let it crowd out the other things that are also true about God, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he can't abide with sin. And because he wanted us to abide with him, he paid the price on the cross in our place as our substitute for our sins, right? But, but he, he may have overemphasized God's grace and got a twisted view of what grace is. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people do. We get, this, we get this unrealistic expectation about what grace is that we say, no matter how deceptive or hypocritical I am, Jesus tolerates everything. That's what grace is. 
Jesus tolerates everything. He'll never punish me. He always, that's what he wants to do. He'll tolerate everything. That's not grace. Grace is that you and I are undeserving, right? And yet he gives us his faithfulness for our unfaithfulness, his righteousness for our self-righteousness and sin. And we become more and more dependent. And we don't use his grace as a license to go out and waste it, right? All the obedience that we do is in gratitude for what he's done. So we don't want to have a twisted view of Jesus and his grace winking at our sin. Like saying, like nobody's perfect. Well, we say that a lot here. Nobody's perfect. This church has no perfect people. I am like Paul said, the worst. The worst. But Jesus is the best, right? So when we come to the reality that there are no perfect people, but we serve a perfect Savior, it makes us more grateful, not wanting to uh, go out and, and waste his, his grace. Um, one more thing about grace and Jesus. If you go through the Gospels, if you look at the, the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you'll find that he was very, very, very gracious with people whose lives were beset with sin, with sins of the flesh. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery and the, righteous, the self-righteous guys, they have rocks and they're going to stone her and, and he stops them. So very gracious. Where you don't find his grace so much is with the religious hypocritical people. Okay? You snakes, you brood of vipers, he says. You're like whitewashed tombs. You clean the cup on the outside, make it real attractive, but the inside... It's full of garbage, dead men's bones. Um, In this passage, he kills them, (laughs) kills them with people who are putting forward a, a righteousness, an image that they're finished, that they're better than they are. Don't want that here. Don't want that here. Very common, very common in the church. You know who it's very common with? The longer we walk with Jesus, the more susceptible we are to this. The more titles we hold or have held, the more Bible studies we've either led or attended, the more temptation there is to say, I want you to see me as a spiritual man who is done or close to it, certainly more done than you. He kills them. Kills them. It must be more dangerous than we think. Okay. Continuing on, his wife, Sapphira. Sapphira means beautiful. Beautiful. She was probably physically beautiful. Beautiful on the outside. Inside, maybe not so much. You know people like this, right? There are people who appear beautiful to you and you get 
to know them and you realize the inside doesn't match the outside and they become less and less attractive. By the flip side, there are people who don't have what the world would call a lot of physical beauty and you get to know them, you get to know their heart and they are ravishing, right? You find yourself drawn to them because when you look in their eyes, when you look in their heart, when you look in your, their life, there is this, this beauty that overshadows any appearance on the physical, on the outside. You had friends like this, right? You're growing up, you're a little kid, you have friends whose parents looked really cool, Barbie and Ken type people, they could be models, and, and they're always happy, and they're always loving, and they're always laughing, right? Until you spent the night at this guy's house, at this girl's house, right? And it was a train wreck. It was a, you entered into a horror movie. You know, you're laughing because you know. The fighting was outrageous. You learned words. You had to go ask your older cousin what they meant. There was throwing of plates. There was awfulness. That's like that. Ananias, Sapphira, thin candy shell, garbage, putrid under the surface. All right, going on. They sold a piece of property. They're being like they're trying to take the form of what, of what Barnabas had done. They sold a piece of property, verse 2. And with his wife's knowledge, wives know everything, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought, get this, only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we talked a little bit about this. He brought only a part, but he gave the impression to the church, to Peter, that he was doing exactly, that they were doing exactly the same thing that Barnabas had done. Again, I'm not sure how it happened, but you can imagine. You know, they're going forward. They say, we also have a field. Maybe we'll sell it. What do you think if we sold it? Okay. Well, at the closing, they had never seen this much cash before. So they get the, the, the silver suitcase, like the ones they have on Deal or No Deal, and it's filled with cash, and they go back, to their house, and maybe they spread it all over the bed and take some pictures rolling around on it. And he says to her, he says, okay, lot of money here, probably more than the church needs. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's this spring break, we'll get that houseboat on the Sea of Galilee. You know, this is the time we've been waiting to get a gold pass to ski on Mount Sinai as much as we want. How about we get that three camel garage we've been talking about? We can do that. We can still make a big gift. She says, yeah, we'll do all that. But here's what you do. We'll trade, we'll trade the bigger bills. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take some of our Benjamins. We'll trade them in for Jacksons, right? The hundreds for 20s. So the, the suitcase is still full. And when you bring it in, you know, they're going to think of us like they think of Barnabas. He goes, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And we'll have all this fun. And maybe, maybe they'll make me an elder. Can you see that? Elder Ananias. Has a ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. All that stuff they think about Barnabas, that's true of me. I want them to think that of me. Number three, or verse number three. Peter said, he walks in. Ananias walks in with the gift, right? Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? To the Holy Spirit. And again, we see it. Keep back for yourself a part, a part of the proceeds of the land. <clears throat> now, here we could talk about spiritual authority and, and church discipline. When we go through Bethany 101, you're going to talk about it. This is not a popular way to do church, but it is the biblical way to do church. And so that is why we do it this way at Bethany. What does this mean? Well, I, I don't want to go too far into it because we've got a lot of mileage to cover here. But what it means is as a member, as a member, you are covenanting with the church and you have a responsibility and we have a responsibility to encourage and build up and call, call people on things that are not consistent, okay? If your first reaction in thinking about membership at a church and, and if somebody's gonna call you on an area of your life and you say, hey, the radical inconsistencies in my life about what I say I believe and the way I actually live are none of your business, then I would say that as a member, you don't have a concept of the body of Christ and how all of us, all of our hearts affect all of us, okay? That's what we're seeing here. In your heart, Satan working in people in the church, it happens, it is happening, okay? Everything you do as a member of the body affects everybody else who is a member of the body. Try a little experiment if you want. You can come up, I'll hit your foot with a sledgehammer and we'll see if your hands don't move. We'll see if your expression on your face doesn't change. If as a member of the church, your life is a train wreck and people are trying to help you with that, help you to see that and you say, none of your business, then you not only have a problem with spiritual authority with people, you have a problem with spiritual authority with Jesus. Because many of us want to serve a God who will not call BS on our lives. Hmm? And you won't have any trouble finding churches that will preach that God. The problem is that God exists only in your imagination. And it's not love. It is not loving to allow somebody to indulge in, live in that which will eventually destroy them. And God loves you too much to do that. We say often it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And Jesus loves us too much, too much to let us stay that way. So we keep it real. We're not trying to get into the details of your life, but if you are a member of this church, we're gonna encourage one another, we're gonna build each other up, and we're gonna call people on things. You wanna empty a church? You want to empty a church? Call people to repentance. Ask me. I've done it. You will empty a church. Because we would rather, 
We would rather hang on to life as we know it, life as we love it, than admit the broken parts of our lives, the hard parts of our heart, and come to Jesus and come to each other and be broken and be real and be touched and forgiven and healed. Why? Because we value one another's opinions and our own comfort more than we do being fully belonging to Jesus Christ. All right, there you have it. Peter calls him on this. How does he know? I would love to tell you it was because of pastoral superpowers. <laughs> love to tell you that. It's not true. Again and again in Acts, you see that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, as Peter was, as we are all called to be, you know real from false. You know those who are giving their all and those who are holding back apart. You know those whose primary motivation is to have a reputation with people than, and, and the difference of people who want to get real with Jesus and do everything he says, regardless of what it costs them or means in their life. And you call people on it. That doesn't mean we're that idiot who goes around and only recognizes the brokenness in other people's lives. Um, we recognize it because we've trained our eyes and our hearts to see the brokenness in our own lives. And we come humbly to people we love and say, hey, this is where I'm going for healing and forgiveness. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with me? That's the body, okay? Peter said this to him, not what Ananias was planning on hearing, Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed where? In your heart. You have not lied to men, but lied to God. Again, we talked last week about the fruit, the weeds above the ground, and them not being the primary problem. The primary problem is underneath, underneath the ground, the roots that nobody sees in our hearts. This isn't a moral crusade. Do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you'll be fine. Because the danger there is we believe our own lie. When we get good at the checklist, we ignore the roots. And so all those roots come, and they choke our hearts, and they make us bitter and hard-hearted and look down on people we think we're morally superior to. It's not what it's about. It is heart change and heart transformation. Because when we come to the cross, broken, Jesus heals us. When he makes our heart right, our lives become right. Our words become right. Our actions become right. Our relationships become right. You try to do that without getting the roots taken care of, and you've got religion and not Christianity. Sounds subtle. Huge difference. Couldn't be any more different. This is about heart. It's about our hearts. It's not beating you up for the things you have done, haven't done. It's about us getting real with our hearts. That's where Jesus wants to work with us. You clean up, if some way you clean up all that stuff above the ground, don't get the stuff under the ground, you become a hypocrite, Pharisee. And it's a matter of life and death. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Breathed his last. Um, you're not going to see this scene depicted by Thomas Kincaid, you know, the painter of light. 
on a calendar series. You're not going to get the Ananias and Sapphira calendar. <clears throat> you know? What happened? Jesus snuffed him out. Snuffed him out. Acts 5.5. 5. You know, we... <laughs> Growing up in New York, <clears throat> one of the worst things that you could say uh, to, to somebody um, was kind of common. We'd tell each other to drop dead. It's not very nice. But I was a little kid, and, and I said it more time than I, than I care to imagine. Had I known, we could have just say, I'm praying Acts 5-5 five, five for you. I'm just praying Acts 5-5 five, five for you. They're not going to look it up. <laughs> That's what it means. <clears throat> That's what he did. We'll look at why that is such a harsh sentence in a minute. Look what happened. End of five, beginning six. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. And in verse six, how are we doing? Oh, okay. Um, excuse me a sec. Thank you. The young men rose wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Maybe these were the ushers, right? Can you picture it? Like they're saying, dude, Peter just asked me to pass the plate. He didn't say nothing about getting rid of no bodies. <laughs> Did he say anything to you? No, man, but I think we ought to do it because there's stuff happening here. I don't want to be part of that. I'd rather be digging the hole than being in the hole. Okay. Makes you think about signing up to be an usher. <laughs> Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Wife shows up to church three hours late. Why? I don't know. I could say something about maybe she needed to fix her hair and it took that long. And, but I won't. Uh, not knowing what had happened. Not knowing what had happened. Now, everybody who was in the church, like they're Twittering this, and she just didn't check her phone, or maybe she was shopping, you know, she wanted to have the new shoes for the day of the gift, and uh, they're still there. You know, they're, they're waiting because they know she's going to come. They didn't go to college lunch, they didn't go to Mario's, and go home to watch the game. This was the game, you know what I'm saying? And they're all waiting, and she comes in, and she doesn't know what's happened. In verse 8, and Peter says to her, you know, Peter, he's a pastor. He has the heart of a pastor that wants very much reconciliation rather than judgment, right? He is hoping. He is probably troubled. He is probably praying for her that she would come clean, that she would get real so that she would not experience what her husband did. And here he asks her the question, gives her the opportunity. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the one, when the young men came in, they found her dead. And you can imagine what they're thinking. And they buried her beside her husband. And look at 11. We've seen this before. And great fear came upon 
the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. What is this about? What is this about? What it's not about is giving. It's not really about giving. It's not about when the plate comes around, you better give and give good or Jesus is going to smoke you where you sit. It's not that. It's not that. This is not about pastor superpowers as much as I imagine they wish it was. It's not. To pronounce death on people when you mess up. It's not about that. It's not about God hating liars. It's not even about that. What it is about is the seriousness of lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit by pretending to be more in love and more faithful, more in love with Jesus and more faithful to him than you are. It is the seriousness of trying to appear more spiritual than you are. And the reason Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead is to give a shocking warning to the church, the whole church, that followers of Jesus Christ who are faking their way through will end up as they did at some point, sooner or later. Here's the sobering part. Here's the real gut-wrenching, heart-ripping, sobering part. All of us, you and me, all of us have been there. We have all done this to one degree or another. We've all tried to appear more spiritual than we really are. Here's a question. Is it better to be a sinner and admit to it? to God and to each other in brokenness or is it better to be something that you're really not and die as a result? Now, whether it happens in this service or not is really not the issue. Really not the issue. It does happen. It does happen. And we'll take a look at, at how it happens. And we're all in this together. It's a very serious question we have to wrestle with. Here are some other very serious questions. Because we know that the wages of sin is death, would you rather die to sin or die because of it? Somebody's got to die. When sin entered the world, that's the story, that's the great good news. When sin entered the world with our first parents, and we have carried on the tradition by inheritance and by choices, somebody had to die because that's what sin earns. Jesus said, it's me. I'll do it. I'll do it for all those who will put their trust in me. Somebody's got to die. Will we either die to sin in Christ or die as a result of the sin? What's so bad about this that they got wiped out? What's so bad? Could it be, here's another question. Could it be that posing as a devoted believer is among the most soul-deadening and church-destroying things we can do? 
that posing as a more devoted believer than we are is one of the most soul-deadening and church-destroying things we can do. I believe it is. The Bible tells us that Satan appears as an angel of light. His MO is to appear to be what he is not. When we have a desire to be perceived not as broken, not as fully dependent on the cross, not as in need of repentance as we are, we are following his MO and we are following him. Period. End of story. It is not a subtle sin. It is deep, deep, deep in our hearts. We talked about fear of man versus fear of God when we were still in Acts. If I want you to think of me as more spiritual than I am, then whether I drop and breathe my last right now, every time I do it, my soul dies a little bit more. My heart hardens and dies, and the church that I'm a part of gets infected. It's none of your business. Oh, it's all of our business. It's all of our business. It is like getting cancer of the lungs and your head saying to your lungs, come on, let's go get healed, saying, it's none of your business. No, if the lungs die, the head dies, the hand dies, the foot dies. So when we know this is part of church membership, some of us say, well, not sure I believe in church membership anymore. It's the body. It's Christ. Don't make your theology up according to what you think is best for you or what is most comfortable. Let us all in humility go to the word and, and listen to the spirit and say, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Is Jesus killing them by showing us is Jesus, by killing them, showing us what happens to our hearts when we wear a spiritual mask? No pretending. No pretending. What happens? What happens when we pretend? People who are pillars of the church, everybody swears things are going great. Wake up one day and find out one has filed for divorce. That's what happens. That's what happens. What happens? Somebody who comes and is part of a small group and goes to Bible study and doesn't trust people to enter into the deepest parts of their lives and get real with God, die from alcohol poisoning. Happens. What happens when people in leadership in the church don't get real with each other and real with Jesus, the headlines are full of reports that they had a male prostitute lover and have been using meth. Happened here in our state. How many people died or were wounded because people thought the risk of you knowing the reality of my heart and the wreckage in my life 
I want you to think of me better than I am, more than I want to get real with you and get real with Jesus. And people die. And churches die. And the kingdom of God suffers. And the people of God suffer. And those people suffer. How real, how authentic are you with Jesus? When you try to fool God, you're only fooling yourself. Okay, one more, um, one more example that I hope will we'll bring this up. In our fellowship with Jesus Christ, in our relationship with him, as we know his love for us, we get very friendly, right? We feel very close, as we should, to Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes, that can cause us to lose sight of the one whom we're in relationship with. That he is the God of all creation before time began and for all eternity. That he is the author of salvation. He is the creator God who sustains, who is holy, who lives in an unapproachable light and yet comes very near to the most broken and the most sinful to cleanse us. Have you forgotten that God is God? That he is not your casual acquaintance? Are you playing him? Are you playing him? As we so often try to play each other. All of us are there. To one degree or another. To one degree or another. How you doing? We all ask in prayer meeting. We'll ask in small group. Great, fine. Hey, praise God. Liar. And I say that in love. And I say it to myself before I say it to anybody else. And I say it on my knees. And I say it in the sense that let's go together. Helping each other get to the cross where we can both be real and both be really forgiven and both be really, really free. How do you know if this is you? If you think, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want me here. That's not true. That's not true. Not for this church and not for Jesus. When we get real, what we find is what we bring to the cross. What Jesus can't stand are the wax cannolis on the plate who want people to think of them as pretty much done pretty darn holy, pretty darn righteous in their own self. He can't stand it. Because what we hide from others is what we hide from God. It's true. It's true. We heard again and again in the passage that they kept back apart from themselves, for themselves, 
That is the crux of the issue. The disconnect in our lives. Holding back a part for ourselves. Not being real with that part. We talked about it in terms of being convinced but not committed. Holding back a part. The secret life. The secret life that you have. Maybe your wife knows. Maybe your husband knows. Maybe your friends know. Maybe they don't. But God does. Don't hold back a part. There is great potential for all of us to be Barnabas and not Ananias and Sapphira. Here's what Jesus does in his mercy and his grace. He's not snuffing us out for this. Not as much as we think we should see. That is mercy and that is grace and that is kindness that the Bible says draws us to repentance. It is patience each time hoping, hoping that we would get real with him, with the real part of ourselves. But we, we often in our hearts, we misinterpret this, that since I don't have immediate judgment, since I don't have immediate consequences for this sin, Jesus must be winking at me saying, it's okay, it's okay. No, he's saying it is deadly and it will kill you. Come to me. Come to me. Don't interpret his patience as permission. It is grace. Get real. Get real. Or it'll kill you. And who is there? Who's there? We are. We are. The good news is there's freedom and there's life and there is joy on the other side. This is not a place to just learn more about God without letting him transform our hearts. It's a place to get changed. I want to walk out of here more real with myself, more real with him than I have ever, ever been. Because that is life. Momentary pain of repentance. Everlasting blessing and joy. Holding that back, momentary pride. And the blessing, if you call it that, of others thinking you're holy. Eternal pain. Death. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray.